Like David said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time. So good to have you here with us. Also, welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or podcast. You're more than welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Well, before I begin the message this morning, I just want to reiterate something that David said, uh, particularly about the outreaches that we do and the Summer of Fun events. You know, uh, last week, I think it's last week or two weeks ago, we had the Jewel Outreach, and uh, this upcoming week we have the uh, Homewood Flossmoor Fourth of July Day Parade. And some of you, particularly if you haven't gotten involved in those things, you might just sort of go, I don't really feel like doing that. What's the big deal about that? But a number of people who are here today are here because we were in front of Jewel's giving away free stuff and telling people about the SSV. There are people who stood along the parade route desperately praying for the Lord to send them a church home, and they're here today deeply involved in what we do because, because somebody handed them an invite. In fact, many people have said, listen, this thing is set on my refrigerator for a year. It was kind of under the bed. I, you know, I didn't throw it away. I just put it on the shelf, and when the time was right, you know, I came, and they've been here ever since. And so it's really, really important for those of you who call this church home to be involved in what God is doing here. And one of the things that God is doing here is he's using us to go out to the community and draw men and women to him through this community. And so if you are part of this community, you call this place home, you receive what God is pouring out here, we encourage you to engage in the outreaches and to be a part of what God is doing in the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Well, I have the privilege this morning of continuing a sermon series that we started several weeks ago, and we're simply calling this series Relationships Matter. And this series is specifically designed to deal with uh, one of the most significant realms of our life, and that is our relationships. Doesn't matter whether you're married or single, doesn't matter whether whether or not you're a parent, uh, we all relate to people. We have friendships. We work in places with other people. We do life with other people. And if you're going to do life with other people, you're going to need to have some wisdom. You're going to need to learn to be skilled in relating to other people, particularly uh, being uh, skilled and versed in relationships. You're human. It's likely, unless you're living in a cave someplace or deserted on some island someplace, it's likely the case that you will be dealing with other people. And so if you ever wonder why would this church take several weeks or several months out of their summer each year to deal with relationships, uh, it's simple. We are who we are today, and we are who we're going to be uh, based largely on our relationships, and dare I say it, the quality of those relationships. And many of us have just gotten used to just poor relationships, poor quality relationships, and I am just here to maybe suggest that God has something better uh, for us than just sort of limping through life and just sort of limping through relationships. I think there is a more excellent way. Uh, We say it week after week in different and creative ways that our purpose in life, we're on this earth largely to relate well to God and to relate well to others. The greatest commandment is to love God and love people. To put it a different way, the greatest commandment is to relate well to God and to relate well to others. Put it a different way, our purpose in life is to be in good relationship, good standing with both God 
and other men and women. And if we don't get our relationships right, if we're limping through our relation, relational life with other people, then we're simply not living God's best version of our life. And so for that reason that we want to dig into these, uh, this series. So far we've covered, we spent the first week, my wife and I started this series, we co-taught a message on becoming one flesh. We talked about marriage and just gave you just some of, you know, how we relate to God and each other through marriage and thinking of this whole idea of being, becoming one flesh. Last week, David did a fantastic job of talking about relationships and money. And if you've forgotten everything that he said last week, one of the things that I thought was just so powerful, he said this, he says that money is a tool. It's a tool uh, that God gives us to live out our purpose. And in other words, money is a tool that God has given us to love him with and to love other people with. And if you discover that what you're using your money for is just you, then you're not using money in the way that God intended it. So he talked last week about relationships and money. I want to continue this series this morning by talking about something that is super important. It's super central to this this whole understanding, this whole idea of having healthy uh, relationships, and that is communication. Communication. Communication simply defined is the sharing of thoughts, ideas, and feelings from one person to another or from one person to a group of people. It's the conveying of ideas, thoughts, feelings from one person to other people. It's the way that we you know, relate to one another. And we can relate in several different ways, but the primary way we relate to one another is through communication. And consider this. If you have a fractured understanding of what it means to communicate well, if you don't have practical, helpful wisdom on how to relate well, to convey ideas and thoughts, and not spend all your life stepping on people through your communication, if you don't master that in some meaningful way, then it's going to dramatically impact the quality of your relationships. How can we relate well to one another if we don't communicate well? How can we be in good standing with one another if we don't communicate and convey ideas well? And many of us are terrible at communication. Don't raise your hand. Don't out yourself this morning. But it's likely the case that many of us, a larger percentage of people in this room, uh, are just terrible at communication. And even if you're not terrible at it, we all can stand to come higher in the ways that we communicate with other people. And it's for that reason that we cover this very practical subject uh, this morning. So I'm simply calling this message this morning, Perfecting Our Communications in Relationships. Perfecting Our Communication in Relationships. And the goal of this particular message is to call us higher, Right? to help us move ever closer to perfection as it relates to communication. Now, it's not likely the case that we'll achieve perfection in any area of our life, but as Paul says, I press toward perfection. I press toward the goal. I press toward the mark. And as we're pressing toward this, we should always be improving. We should be always becoming wiser. We should be always becoming more efficient and effective in our communication, perfecting our communication in relationships. I want to look at a short passage of Scripture this morning. In Psalm chapter 19, I want to start at verse 12. If you would, turn there with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you. You'll probably notice that there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use those Bibles. If you don't, by the way, have a Bible at home that you can understand, a Bible that works for you, feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us to you. Psalm chapter 19, you can also uh, follow along with us on your phones or in your tablets. Psalm chapter 19, while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much 
for your word, truth. Thank you for the great privilege uh, that you've given me to stand before you and your people and bring the word. Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. And you would put, uh, move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. Lord, help us communicate well. Help us not ignore this. Lord, assault us if you have to with your truth. Put a mirror in front of us. Reflect back to us, Lord, who we are, but also, Lord, show us who you are. Uh, just uh, bathe us in your truth this morning. May we be transformed by it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Psalm chapter 19, I'm starting at verse 12. Psalmist says this, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me, he says. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Verse 14, and this is the money verse here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Read verse 14 again. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the passage that we engage this morning is a prayer of sorts, and the psalmist is praying to God. And I think it's interesting that we find wisdom, such practical wisdom and instruction about communication. We find it in kind of an unlikely place, tucked at the end of one of these psalms. And in verse 12, the psalmist says here, in verse 12, we see a man who's in touch with his humanity. In verse 12, he says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? This doesn't strike me as a man who's full of himself, doesn't strike me as a person who is not, you know, taking a glance in a mirror or two. He sees his own humanity, he sees his own frailty, and he expresses this to God in a way that we can openly read. How can I know all the sins that are lurking in my heart? As if to say, there are plenty of sins. There's much brokenness. There's much dysfunction. Lord, I lay that bare before you. What's interesting is that he opens this short passage, particularly as it relates to his communication and his thinking, talking about something that we don't really enjoy talking about that much, and that's sin. You love when the preacher talks about blessings. Love when the preacher says, you know, God's coming down your aisle. Your ship's about to come in. You're going to receive healing and blessing. Yeah, you want to run the aisles. Uh, but we don't really like to talk about our sin, but the psalmist goes there. He talks about his hidden sin. How can I know all the stuff living on the inside of me? It's too much. He talks about the deliberate sin, the things that he knows about, the things that he's actively done. Don't let it control me, he asks the Lord. And then he gets to verse 14, and he says, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. And as it relates to communication, particularly perfecting our communication, particularly aiming to get communication, interpersonal communication, communication between two people, in order to get this right, I think the psalmist hits the target, the words of my mouth, zeroing in on the things that we say. And he makes a connection to something that we don't quite think about, and that is our thinking, our thoughts, the meditations of my heart. He ties his words, and I would assume that he would also tie his actions to his thinking. And I want to help you understand that there's a huge correlation between our words and our thinking. 
And you've often heard me say that we need to, as Christians, have a thoroughly converted Christian mind, which basically means that if Jesus doesn't, you know, alter our thinking, if he doesn't rewire our thinking, if he doesn't rewire our guts, then we won't be transformed. And one of the main ways that that lack of transformation will betray us is through our words. It's through what we say and how we say it. It's through our actions and our deeds, which is why Paul says, listen, you know, submit your bodies, which includes your mouth, to God is acts of worship. He continues in verse 2 of Romans 12 to say, let God transform you by changing the way you what? Think. Let God transform your mind, the meditations of your heart, your innards, your guts, your wiring, by changing the way you think. And so it's preposterous to assume that God would do a transforming work in the way that we relate to other people, particularly through our communications, without first dealing with the meditations of our hearts, without first dealing with how we think, our worldview, and how we view the world. We want, church, a thoroughly converted Christian mind. And the spirit of this passage and what it seeks to get us towards, I want to talk about four things this morning, four things that if we lean into them, if we actively pursue them, it'll help us perfect our communications and relationships. And as I said before, it doesn't matter whether you're married or single. It doesn't matter whether you have children or not. We all work somewhere. We all relate to other people. And God wants us to do this well. So four things this morning that we need to do in order to walk in this and to work this out. The first thing is that we need to plan. And if you're taking notes, you want to underscore plan. Plan to honor God with your communication. There's a whole lot of different ways I could have said this or framed this, but I think plan is a really good word that gets us thinking in the right way. Plan to honor God with your communication. That word plan there suggests intentionality. Intentionality. It, it, it suggests that you have to be strategic. It suggests that you have to give some forethought to how you communicate. And so some of us are just driven by our impulses and our instincts. We just go wherever the winds of our hearts and the circumstance takes us. And if you have been sitting under the teaching of any good preacher, you will know that what God asks us to do, commands us to do, insists that we do, is usually not instinctive. It's usually not our natural course that we will follow if unaffected, if unimpacted by God's righteous truth and the example of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you don't grab a hold of your instincts, and let them be conformed to the knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ, then you'll always end up in the gutter. You'll always end up floating downstream. And so with that in mind, as it relates to communication, since this is a big deal to God, since it's at the center of our relationships, we need to get this, plan to honor God with your communications. This is ground zero for the Christian. And I think that you should be able to be called on this. And by, by that I mean you should like the people in your life who know that you're a Christian, they should be like on the lookout for whether or not you're honoring God with your communication. And some of us have neglected the practice of giving people like 
permission to speak and to call us on things, but this is one of those things that your friends, particularly your Christian friends, should be able to call you on. That should be able to speak into your life as it relates to this. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, uh, my rock and my redeemer. May my words, the things that I say, the things that I say, may they please the Lord. How often are you asking yourself, does this please the Lord, what I'm saying? Does this please the Lord, how I'm saying it? And some of us have just had very bad examples, and you just say whatever comes to your mind. My mom just told me to say whatever. I, she said, be me. She said, keep it real. And your mom couldn't keep any friends. And your mom couldn't keep a job. And your mom couldn't stay married. I'm not trying to, you know, throw any shade any place, but I'm just saying, like, who are we listening to? The words that we say, they ought to please God. I'll take it a step further. Your attitude and your disposition, it ought to please God. Now, this is one of the hidden aspects of communication, our attitude and our disposition. Because sometimes, you know, you can say the right thing, but with the wrong attitude, it's a, something completely different. If you're looking at a person, you're engaging their affect as you communicate with them. Oftentimes, how, you know, their attitude and their disposition speaks louder than the very words that they say. And so I'm just going to lump this into the words of my mouth, uh, my attitude and disposition. You text somebody and ask them to borrow $10 and they say, they type back yes. You go, this person means yes. You ask a person for $10 and they say yes. You say, this person means yes. If you ask a person for $10 and they go, yes, Ugh. right? We add a little attitude in there. We add a disposition that runs counter to the words that they're saying. And what have you deduced, right, from that communicate? Now, you might still take it because you might need $10, right? But the attitude and the disposition of that person has communicated something uh, totally different than what they said. And so this is so important. I mean, we can talk about words all the time. We often talk about words, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about our attitude and our disposition. Why do I want to talk about this? Because some of you just have terrible attitudes. You just have terrible attitudes. Now, it's Sunday morning. You got on your Sunday best. You came in here to worship. You feel some positive peer pressure to be nice and to smile. And I'm not particularly talking about this very moment, right? I'm talking about some, depending on the situation and the circumstance of the day, depending on who you're talking to and what you're talking about, some of us, if we could just keep it all the way real this morning, we just have terrible attitudes. And some of you have taken care to make sure that the actual words that you say don't cross any lines, but you haven't checked your attitude. You haven't checked your disposition, which, by the way, is one of the major ways that we communicate to other people. And so I would add, uh, may the words of my mouth and may my attitude, may the words of my mouth and the way I carry myself, the words of my mouth and the way I roll or not roll my eyes, may they be pleasing in your sight. May I plan to, not just with my words, not with just my sentences, but with my attitude. May my attitude be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And you might need to extend that 
to some special circumstances. Lord, may my attitude be pleasing in your sight when my husband is getting on my last nerve or my wife is getting on my last nerve or the person that I'm dating is getting on my last nerve or when my boss is getting on my last nerve. May my, may my attitude and disposition when my kids are driving me crazy, may the way I relate to them, may my, la- my body language and disposition, may it be pleasing. When is the last time you prayed that prayer? When is the last time that you've submitted your words and your attitude unto the Lord? Now, I could spend a whole lot of time there, but I think you get the idea. And I think one of the ways that you can plan to submit your words, your deeds, your disposition, and your attitude is to ask the Lord to give you what many people lack, and that is self Awareness. You ever been around somebody who lacks self-awareness? And self-awareness is simply a, a, a clear picture of how you come off to other people. It takes, this is, a, this is a skill that many of us lack. And this is a gift from God. And some of us should regularly pray specific prayers for more of God's spirit to manifest itself in our life through healthy self Awareness. It means that you can, in real time, get a pretty good picture. Maybe not a perfect picture, but a pretty good picture of how you come off to other people. You ever met somebody who's not self-aware? Ever talked to somebody who's not self-aware? If they're in here with you, they sit next to you, just play it real cool, look ahead. But you know that it's challenging to be in relationship with somebody who lacks self awareness. They usually come off as being very self-centered and self-focused, often are long-winded, and everything they talk about is about them. You've given them all the signs that you've got someplace to be. You, I mean, you're walking, you've turned your body the other way, the kids are tugging at you, and they're still talking, right? They're still talking, repeating themselves, just yapping on, haven't asked you about your day. They haven't asked you about your problems. I mean, you've got, you're bleeding and you've got sadness all over your face, but they have, it didn't occur to them to include you in the conversation, consider somebody else uh, because they're self-centered. They don't have any self-awareness because life is about them. And maybe this lack of self-awareness uh, comes across as being mean and irritable. You know, always got an attitude. You know somebody's always got an attitude? Life can't be that bad for you. Doesn't matter what happens, just always got an attitude. Mean and irritable. Or one minute they're happy, the next minute they're in. You're just, you just always feel like you're bothering them. You don't know who, which person you're going to get. Maybe I'll get the nice version of Shannon today. Maybe I'll get, I'm just saying my wife's name because I don't want to say one of your names. Uh, who, who am I going to get today? And what's really annoying is we happen to live with somebody like this. Always got an attitude. Not very aware or interested in how they're coming off. They just, this is, I'm, I'm having a rough day today. And so they're slamming stuff. They're kicking the cat, you know. It's like, no self-awareness. And it, it didn't occur to them that it matters how they're coming off. They haven't planned haven't planned. They hadn't gotten strategic about how they're coming off. They haven't insisted that their words, their actions, their attitudes, and their disposition pleases the Lord. 
And so I don't think you can get this right unless you've deputized a few people to speak into this as it relates to how you come off. There are several people in my life, some I've asked, others have invited themselves <laughs> to help me understand how I come off. And my wife is probably head of that committee, and she has no problem saying, you need to fix your face, you're scowling. Maybe you didn't mean to, but when you were in this point in your sermon, it came off kind of mean, it came off kind of judgy. Um, I don't think you intended to do that, but maybe or David Jacob back there said, hey man, you came off this way. And sometimes he says, I think you need to go and make that right. And sometimes I have to come up before I begin my message, I have to make a retraction or I have to apologize or clarify something because usually the case is somebody in my life that I've deputized to speak truth to me, to put a mirror in front of me has said, maybe you didn't realize this. Maybe you like self-awareness in this moment but you need to make this right, and this is how you're coming off. And maybe some of you just need to deputize two or three people to say, listen, I know I have a tendency to be in my field. I know I have a tendency to just be mean and irritable and, and, and driven by the situations of life. Would you just call me on that if you see it? And deputize some people who interact rather regularly with you on social media and just say, listen, I know sometimes when there's politics or some racially charged thing, I can get crazy about this. Would you just reflect back to me what you see if I step out of the bounds? If somehow my words and my actions and my tone and my disposition stops being pleasing to my Lord, my rock, and my demon, would you just call me on it? Would you do that? It's one of the main ways that you can plan. So I told you to underline that word. It's one of the main ways that you can plan to honor God with your communication. Some of us, we just can't see it. We can't see ourselves. We haven't developed that skill. And so we need people to help us with self-awareness. How's your planning? Somebody say, if you don't, uh, if you fail the plan, then you plan to fail. I, I think this is especially true as it relates to communication in our relationship. Plan to honor God with your communication. Second thing is say what you mean and mean what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. One of the most frustrating things, I don't know if this is just me or whatever, one of the most frustrating things is people who I just got, I had to figure out. You know how many people in my life, how many people I got to deal with and interact with and communicate with? What if I had to figure out all those different people? Like, why can't you just say no if you mean no? Like, and yes if you mean yes? Well, I got to figure you out and just figure out the coding system to how you relate and what your yes means and, and what your 7 o'clock means. Like, why can't we just decomplicate things by saying what we mean and meaning what we say? I think that's biblical. I think that's a Jesus ideal. Now, let me tell you something that I think some of us may not know, and this is, might be earth-shattering to you, but the burden of clarity rests on the communicator. The burden of clarity rests on the speaker, the person who's talking, the person that's communicating. And so, yes, I have to pay attention. Yes, I have to lean in. Yes, I have to be aware of some of your quirks and things like that. If I'm in relationship with you, that's just, I owe you that. But the burden of clarity rest on the person who is communicating. 
And so I just think that it's just a lost art to just say what you mean and to mean what you say. And so basically what I'm saying to you is I think that one of the things that will rapidly decomplicate communication is if we just begin to tell it like it is. Now, this isn't a license for you to be an insensitive jerk. Because some of you, I mean, that's just kind of where you camp out. That's your personality. And I'm not just giving you license. The pastor just said, just say it. I don't even have to think about it. I just say it. I'm just keeping it real. That's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I think we go farther, faster, if we just developed an instinct to say what we mean. And I think this point that I'm trying to make is bigger than honesty. It's bigger than not lying, but that's an important part of it, and so just, let's just start there. I think a big part of this is to just like, I don't know how, how better to say it, just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And so I think it's just, you know, the more we, the more politically correct we get as a culture, the more nice, kind of fake nice we get as a culture, the more we can just, you know, under the guise of love, like a counterfeit of love, we just become cowards. And not say, not, not just tell the truth. In the interest of protecting people's feelings and in the interest of protecting your own self, you can just get really comfortable. And some of you know this is true because this is where you live right now. You can just get really comfortable lying. And a friend has just said he, he just perfected lying. He got really good at it. It just became instinct. Like his mind automatically would weave together these lies to get him in and out of situations and circumstances. He got good at it. He got good at it. And some of you have gotten good at it. You developed an instinct that just says whatever the situation calls for, Whatever will gain you an advantage or whatever will get you out of it. Let me just tell you something. God hates, he hates a lying tongue. He hates lies. He absolutely hates it. It's totally counter to what God calls us to be as followers of Jesus, as salt and light. We live in a dishonest world and many of us don't bear the distinguishing mark of honesty. We don't bear the distinguishing mark of truth-telling in a culture that loves and lives and lies. You don't believe me, just watch the news. You got to get video. We got transcripts of you saying this. I didn't didn't say that. And so I think, you know, the simple, powerful, challenging, convicting truth for some of us today is that we just tell the truth. And in telling the truth, I think that the course of ongoing relationships, we have the ability to train the people around you to expect truth and honesty. There are some people, I just don't believe a word they say. I I don't believe a word they say because repeated interactions with them have trained me that what this person says needs some verification. Person tells me 10 o'clock in the morning that the sun is out, I'm gonna go look because I don't trust that person. Why? Because they've established a pattern of embellishment, they've established a pattern of lying, and some of it I don't even think there's a way. You ever met somebody who just told unnecessary lies? You're like, that's not even necessary. Why did you tell me you saw a dinosaur? What, what are you hoping to? <laughs> I, can, I can prove you. I mean, that's <laughs> right. 
When we instinct of telling the truth, we train the people in our lives to expect truth and honesty. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. He says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. The context of this is that people were getting into just, you know, living such dishonest life that they had to have all these oaths, and I swear by this one and that one. But guess what? If you have gotten to the habit of telling the truth, even some outrageous thing, even something that's hard to believe, the people in your life say, this guy tells the truth. This, this woman walks in honesty and integrity. I could take this to the bank. And so the people in your life are expecting truth from you. They're expecting you to tell it like it is. They're expecting candor from you. And so when I say train the people in your life to expect truth from you, I'm basically saying to create a culture of candor in your life so that people understand that what you're telling them is the truth. There are some people who initially, they don't want to really be friends with me because they don't like what I have to say. They ask me something, and they're, looking, they're fishing for a compliment, and they just want me to just, and I say, hey, you, know, you really, really, really want to know? And I say it, and they're like, well, how could you say something like that? You asked me. I remember when my wife and I first started dating, she would ask me questions like, you know, how did that taste? Did, you know, how did, that, how did that dinner taste to that man? I'm like, baby, it wasn't that good. You don't have to ever make that again for me. And in the beginning, she was, well, how does this look? Don't wear that. That's not that flattering. And in the beginning, it was just like, how could you say that? I mean, I'm getting the cold soldier. I'm getting, the, you know, the silent treatment. Well, listen, we've got to be this thing together. If there's one person in the world that I can trust. If everybody's lying to me and telling me my breath smells fine, I need to be able to go to her and say, hey, give me a quick test real quick. How, <laughs> is anybody in this room that's going to tell, you know, we got to just, and we from the very beginning. We've set a culture of candor in our relationship. If I can't count on anybody's assessment of me, it's going to be that woman right there. And I don't always want to hear it. Sometimes, I, I mean, I thought I'd go home feeling like I, I hit a home run today. And she asked me that dreadful question, how'd you think that went today? <laughs> and that's just cold for it didn't go that great. But I need that in my life. And we created that. And I create a culture of candor in this pulpit. And I create a culture, if any of you are my friends, you know that Gino's going to tell you. Because that's what I expect. That's what I want. Even if it's unflattering. Even if it hurts, that's what I want. And some of you have moved away from this because people don't respond well to truth initially. But let me tell you, in a world full of falsehood and lies, that grows wearying. And there's going to come a point in everybody's life when they're going to need to know, not just want to know, they're going to need to know what's real and what's fake. They're going to need to know how they're coming off. They're going to need an honest, no-fluff assessment. And what you do when you tell people the truth, even if they back away, is you say, when you're ready for the truth, come to me. When you're ready for an honest assessment, come to me. You might get upset at first, but when you're ready, come to me. And you've created a culture of honesty, a culture of integrity, a culture of candor, seasoned with kindness and grace, of course. But you've created that culture in your life. How 
how much of your married life and communication would just be decomplicated overnight if you just began to say what you mean. And you didn't rely on your slamming things around and your nonverbal communications to communicate things that you could have just said with your mouth. How many husbands are just confused because they're trying to decode what you said? How many wives are just confused because they're just trying to decode what you said? How many friends just don't know which way is up in the relationship because they just just say it? Just say it. Jesus says a simple yes, I will, or a simple no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And we've moved beyond just truth-telling. We move toward just like being clear and on record and not having people try to guess what you're thinking and guess what you're trying to get at. I think the Bible calls this integrity. And when we think of integrity, you think, well, don't steal that from the store. But integrity is like an anchoring principle in your life it just basically means you're, you're free from duplicity. Like you're the same guy here as you are over there. You're the same girl here as you are. You're the same person out here as you are in your mind. And when you gain some freedom from duplicity or all these different versions of yourself, you walk in integrity and you are a joy to be around. You are a solid rock for people to build their life around when you walk in integrity. Proverbs 11, verse 3 said, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are what? Destroyed by their what? Duplicity. The integrity of the upright guides them. It's a principle. It makes their decisions for them. It causes them to speak clearly. It causes them to speak truth. It moves them from a place of trying to misdirect, mislead, and, you know, use coded language and manipulate people with their communication. It anchors them in life. It anchors them in their relationships. But the unfaithful, the people who haven't leaned into this wisdom, are destroyed, the Scripture says, because they are duplicitous. They are a different person out here than they are in here. They're a different person in this setting than they are in this setting. The situations of life move them from person to person to person, and you don't know who you're dealing with. They don't know who they're dealing with. They are destroyed, consumed, torn asunder because they're duplicitous. They're not one. They're not integritous. In the spirit of all of this, say what you mean, and further, do what you say you'll do. Do what you say you'll do. And this is super important, man, because there's so many Christians, we just, yeah, I'll be there, because you feel like it when you said it, but when it's time to do it, you don't feel like it anymore, and you're just like, ah. Like, that's like, that that lacks integrity. Do what you say you'll do. This is so basic, but it's escaped so many of us. And so I told you that God's ideal for us is that we create a culture of candor and honesty in our life so that the people in our life can count on the things that we say. They can count on the things that we commit ourselves to. But how many of us are just whimsical with the things that we say? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, you can count on me. Oh, yeah, I'll give you that. I'm good for that. But we'll back out on you and just have gotten good at it. 
You've gotten good at backing out of things. You've gotten good at not keeping your word. How many of our relationships would be instantly decomplicated, uncomplicated, if we just did what we say we would do? Take it a step further. I think God wants us to be where we say we'll be. And so this punctuality, especially among Christians, is just something that is just another area where we lack integrity. I don't know if you know me, I'm, I'm just a stickler for time. I, I think that 7 o'clock means 7 o'clock. But some of you, when you say 7 o'clock, that could be anywhere from, you know, 4 p.m. to, you know, somewhere around 11. I'll just get there when I get there. And how many of you know that that is not walking in integrity? That's just one more example of you not being where you say you're going to be, doing what you say you're going to be, and it, it destroys a culture of candor in your life. Some of you, your, your spouse might joke with you, and you say 7 o'clock, you're like, yeah, all right. If I show up around 7.30, she might be, you know, putting on her makeup. That's funny, right? But what does it communicate? It communicates that what you said is not something that's reliable. And some of you, if you ask your children, they might joke, but they just kind of know that you can't be counted on because... You know, you say you're going to do that, you say you're going to be that, you say you can come to that thing, but when it rolls around, you've always got an excuse. And if you ask your children, is your parent somebody who you can trust what they say, like their word is their bond, like they won't be moved up off of that thing? Some of you would not like the answer that your children give you. Some of you wouldn't like the answer that your, your, your friends give you. Some of you would not like the answer that your employer might give you. Because you come to work when you come to work. And you might consider what that might be doing to your Christian witness. It's quiet in here. You you might consider what that might be doing to your Christian witness. I can hang out there, but I won't. So we talked about honoring God, planning to honor God. Saying what you mean, meaning what you say, which basically means walking in integrity, creating a culture of candor. And I think those two things prepare us well for the third thing that I want to talk about as it relates to communicating in relationships, and that is the fact that God wants us to deal with conflict. And might I add, deal with conflict well. Plan to honor God and how you speak and how you relate to one another and your attitude and your disposition and you develop an instinct of saying what you mean and meaning what you say, you should be well-equipped to deal with conflict. And I think that God places a real high value on dealing with conflict simply because conflict, when you're dealing with humans, and those humans have to be, happen to be broken, sinful, and selfish, conflict issues are a fact of life. You can count on them like death. You can count on them like taxes, right? Conflict. Budget for it. And have a plan to deal with it. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, if you've come to worship God, you've come to the altar to worship, bring your sacrifice, and you remember that somebody has something against you, he said, leave your gift at the altar and go and take care of it. So more important than our worship, in fact, having conflict, open accounts with other people, 
it seems, will complicate our worship. The Lord says, listen, you've got, you got other matters to take care of. Listen, we're supposed to live a life of worship, right? But part of that life of worship is being in good relationship with other people. And this is so important that Jesus would say, hey, just, I know, you, I know you're right in the middle of your worship song. I know your hands are lifted. A tear's about to come down. But just one second, you know so-and-so has something against you. You know you've got an open account. And so Jesus pushes us toward, pushes us toward dealing with conflict. And so some of us avoid conflict. It's just instinctive. We avoid conflict. We lie. We say we're okay when we're not. We paint on that fake Christian smile. Why? Uh, Because we're afraid. On some level, I I think avoiding conflict, generally speaking, is somehow rooted. It's rooted in fear. Maybe some of us are afraid that we're going to have to apologize. I'm afraid that that the blame is going to be put on us. Some of us are deathly afraid of losing or complicating a relationship, which is just deception because, listen, you've got conflict. It may not be on the surface, but the relationship is already compromised. But it's rooted somehow in fear. But the Scriptures tell us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. Power to see things right. Holy Ghost power to see things right and engage it. Love, I care enough for this person. I care enough for the relationship to engage this thing. And the most important of those things, self-control. And self-control is not needed to press you into something that's pleasant. Self-control comes in when you need to be pressed towards something that's hard, pressed towards something that's challenging, pressed towards something that is unpleasant. And so fear is not from the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit, particularly when we've been wrong or when we've wronged, when we have this open account with somebody, will always be pushing us toward resolving the conflict rather than pushing us away from it. And some of you have ran away from the conflict because you haven't, you know, planned to honor God with your communication. You know that you have a tendency to fly off the handle, so you say, I'm just not going to deal with it. You haven't planned to, you haven't developed this instinct to say what you mean and mean what you say and not, you know, manipulate and try to steer the things to lying and deceit and misdirection. And so you haven't developed those two instincts. And so you're simply ill-equipped. You need to be afraid of conflict because you don't have the equipment. You don't have the tools. But what have we planned to honor God? I dare not say a word. It doesn't please the Lord. I might have to say some hard things. I might have to say some indicting things, but I dare not speak a word that doesn't honor God even as I deal with conflict. I dare not intentionally be manipulative. I dare not intentionally say something or report something as fact that is not fact. I'm going to be on record. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to share my thoughts and opinions, but I'm going to filter that, put that through the sieve of kindness and grace. And some of us just have never gone into conflict situations with those tools, and so we're afraid because it always blows up. It always goes sideways. But I think that we're better equipped to engage conflict if we do it God's way, if we lean into it in the perfect, the more perfect, more excellent way that Jesus prescribes. We say around here, that we have managed to uh, keep our doors open and still love one another because we keep short accounts. 
we keep short accounts. And that just simply means that there's not a whole lot of time that passes between the infraction and when we talk about it. Not a whole lot of time that passes. I'm not making my rounds. I'm not talking to you and you and you and you and you about something that I should just talk to you about. I'm keeping a short account. One of the blessings of this, blessed stories of this ministry is that every single person that we started this church with, 13 of us, is still here in this church today. And that's not because of my great preaching or because I'm such an awesome leader. That's because from the very beginning, he said, guys, we're going to keep short accounts. If I get out of line, if I do something that's hurtful, come talk to me. And you best believe if something happens on your end, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to say what needs to be said. I'm going to season it with grace, season it with kindness, but we keep short accounts. And how many of your relationships would instantly be uncomplicated? Would instantly, the, the, the cloudy skies of your relationship would instantly clear up if you decided we're going to deal with these issues. Your marriage, relationship with your kids, relationship with your friends, relationship with coworkers, the relationship with your boss, the relationship with your employees. What might change if you just decide, you know what, when something comes up, we're going to deal with it. In a way that honors God, in a way that has honesty and integrity, I want to do it God's way. But I want to deal with conflict. Fourth and final thing as I wrap this up. It's, it's, it's something that we don't quite do well, but I think we need to do better, and that is that we seek understanding. And this is especially helpful in this continuum of dealing with conflict God's way, relating to one another God's way, to seek understanding. And this seeking understanding is so complicated for us, especially in today's social media culture, because sometimes we equate seeking understanding with agreeing with people. And I'm telling you that these are two very different things. I can understand you and not agree with you. I can understand the facts concerning why you did what you did and what makes you tick and why you see the world the way you... And I can totally disagree with you. And so one of the pushes towards love and considering that, you know, life is not about me, but it's, it's primarily about how I relate to others is I want to seek to understand you. Some of you heard me say this before, but I, I consider in situations that I handled wrong and people that I've written off and people that I hurt because they were weird to me or they were mean to me or they did something that really rubbed me the way. Oftentimes, if I knew one fact more about that person and their situation, it would completely change how I relate to them. Isn't this true? If I knew just one fact more about that person who was driving me crazy, I would totally relate to them differently. Yes, they're annoying. Yes, they get on my nerve. But, but, but you, you didn't know what happened to them. You didn't know the trauma. You didn't know the parents they were born in. You didn't know what their upbringing was like. You don't know that they have some mental illness and they're just high functioning. If you knew one more fact, it would change the way you relate to people. And so in the spirit of this, I am being more moved, especially in my line of work, to ask more questions and to seek understanding and to get this, make room, make room and leave space for what I don't know. Now here's the challenge of that. We're just naturally know-it-alls. And, and to make space for what you don't know suggests that there's stuff you don't know. And that's hard for some of us to do. Maybe not you. Maybe the person next to you. But that's hard for us to say, well, I don't know everything. 
But I think it's a kingdom ideal to just say, you know what, there are plenty of things I don't know, and so I need to seek some understanding about this, especially when you're dealing with somebody who has done something unusual, has done something that's outside of the realm of their normal character and the normal way they carry themselves and the way that they relate to you. You say, my goodness. Rather than write them off and, and define them by their worst moment, I say, you know what, maybe there's something. Maybe I need to ask a couple of questions. And then the interest of seeking understanding as a way to perfect our communication and our relationships, I'm going to give you one question, one question that's going to change the game if you use it well. Now, I use this all the time. I use it in my marriage. I use it with my kids. I use it as I pastor this church. And then this question is simply, can you help me understand dot, dot, dot? Oftentimes I think I know this person did this because they're mean and they're hateful and they're hater. And I just, uh, that may be true, but let me just go ask him. Jimmy, can you help me understand, brother, why you keep coming in late? Can you help me understand why you are leaving your work undone, which makes work for other people? I'm really frustrated by this, but I just want to give you, can you help me understand this? You know, half the time there's no explanation. You know what? Thanks for making me aware of that. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. But the other half of it, as I learn something about the situation, that makes all the difference. All the difference. And I could have come storming in with my assumptions, but instead I've just taken to saying, you know, can you help me understand why this or that? My kids, can you help me understand why you keep doing that? What would change in our relationships? What would change in our marriages? What would change in our relationships with our children, our friendships, our dating relationships, vocational relationships? What might change if we were moved towards seeking understanding rather than assuming that we know all there is to know? What might change if we explored the possibility that if I knew one more fact about the situation or one more fact about the person, it would radically change the way I view them and the situation. It would radically change the relationship. But where are you at in relationships? Worship team, you can come up as I wind this thing down. Where are you at today? Have you purposed in your heart that you will plan to honor God with every word you say, understand, of course, you'll miss the mark. Understanding, sometimes you'll get it wrong, but that you will plan, strategically plan to honor God with the things that you say, your attitude and your disposition. You'll invite people into your life to give you, you know, feedback as to how you're doing as it relates to your disposition, your levels of self-awareness. Are you a truth teller? Do you say what you mean and mean what you say? Have you assumed the burden of clarity have you taken that on? Do you show up where you're supposed to be, when you said you would be there? Are you integritous in your dealings with other people? Do you deal with conflict? Do you keep short accounts? Do you seek understanding rather than making assumptions? How, how, how we do today? Don't answer. I just want you to wrestle with that. I believe that if you will put these principles into practice, that it will radically change your life, because it will radically change your relationships, and God will get more glory out of your life. The quality of your life will improve because the quality of your relationships will improve, and you'll be living out your purpose in a way that honors and pleases God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Even though it cuts us, even though it indicts us, 
you do this, you speak these things to call us higher. Do these things because, Lord, it is our purpose, it is our destiny, it's what we're here for, to relate well to you and to others. Help us with that, Lord. Some of us have gotten lazy and just have gotten complacent and just have been floating down the lazy river and our communication has suffered and therefore our relationships have suffered. Lord, will you help us with that? Lord, as we continue to worship you today, Father, I pray that you would continue to, 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 to deal with those areas that you put your finger on. May we yield to you in every measurable way. And may we be transformed. Transformed in how we live by allowing you to tra- transform our mind. Help us communicate with God. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.